Myth is much more important and true than history. History is just journalism, and you know how reliable that is. Joseph Campbell. Bending Not Breaking, Season 5, Episode 7, Beginnings, Part 1. Welcome back to another episode of Ending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And I'm Ben. And we are full into Cora at this point. Full into Cora. The show phrasing's important. Um, so I, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I mean it is, and I misspoke. And anyways, we're we're talking about the show Cora, and we are we are much into the season of season two, um, and. And I am excited about our special guest that we have today. Me too. Um, ben. Who do we have? Y'all, drum roll, please. Back for the fourth time on the podcast. This is the first person to come back for a fourth time. We have the one, the only, Indira Eudophia. Air horn, air horn, air horn. We'll put it in post. (laughs) Yeah, put it in post. Oh, Max. Uh, He's doing great. He is. Yeah, he's living all partnered life. off, living life. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Indira, how are you today? <laughs> great, great. Um, I am doing fantastic. My cat just had a birthday, so that was fun. Um, Bisa. Yeah, Bisa is now uh, in her terrific threes, and uh, it's, it's, it's a journey over here. But yeah, <laughs> finished another oh, semester. We're in one one semester away from comps so Mm. you know life is moving (laughs) life is moving well everybody y'all can go back and hear some of indira's past episodes uh we have some lovely episodes um in episode uh, season three of Mm -hmm. atla we had indira on the firebending masters we had indira in the first season of cora uh, on in the game, I believe. Oh. And then she was also here for our mini series with Brene Brown and the Gifts of Imperfection, and we talked about perfectionism. Who? Um, yeah, Brene Brown. Um, we've heard about her before. Have we? Um, I recently got an article. Uh, this is we fun for our listeners. That is like saying uh, it's it's calling Brene out on her the way she articulates shame and how it's potentially not as harmful as it has been um used in rhetoric which is really interesting and i can't wait to read it because i want to see what what that what it's all about yeah yeah um literally one of my friends was like oh my god i just read this article for class and they're all just not happy with Brene." and i'm like send me the article i want to know tell me more um yeah i think i sent you an article about Brene the other day and i was like Oh, no, it was a Twitter thread. And I was like, see? See? (laughs) No, I read it. And that was a, that was, that was probably one of the more important Twitter threads that I've read, uh, considering how bought in we are um, as a podcast, but also I personally. And that was really enlightening to say, yes. And it's important to consider where you're coming from when you read this material. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that. That was really helpful. Um, 
So Indira, for those of us who may not know who you are and have not listened to our prior episodes, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do and why why did we invite you back of all people four times? And I think just by hearing a little bit about your bio, people will understand. Yeah, so um, I am a Duke Div grad, uh, a UNC Chapel Hill MSW grad, a Boston School of Theology grad. Uh, so obviously I really like school. Um, I am a now second year PhD student at um, North Carolina a and and UNCG's joint program in social work. I'm studying religious trauma and violence and its impact on African-American millennials and Gen Zers. Um, I do spiritual uh, pastoral care counseling and spiritual direction, work with folks who are navigating religious trauma. I work as a therapist, um, seeing individuals, um, and sometimes I see family systems, not as much as I did before, but um, navigating things around severe to persistent mental health. Um, I'm having a spent, apparently I'm having an emerging specialty for folks with who have some sort of dissociative um, identity or dissociative disorders, um, things around anxiety and depression and trauma histories. Um, and I just love the Avatar universe, um, especially Korra. Um, I think Korra is the best Avatar, don't fight me and I won't have any questions or debates about it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. And with with a bio like that, like everyone should be very clear on why you are a repeating guest because you have wonderful credentials and <laughs> and you like this show, which like I mean, who doesn't after they watch it? Let's be real. But it's one of those things where it's like the perfect combination of awesome. And so mm -hmm. that's why Indira's back, y'all. She's the bomb.com. Yes. That and, yes. and, and we we like them, right? You know, like Indira. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy having you on yes. the show. Yeah. And I, so, and you know, friends. I, I like, I like the host. You know, what can I say? Yeah, they're fun. Thank goodness. <laughs> awesome. Well, beginnings part one. Yeah, we're talking about beginnings part one, and we offered this episode to you, and you were like, within three seconds, responded with the lens that you chose. Can you tell us what it is? Yeah, we're talking myth today, and mythos. Myth as yeah. a lens. So what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, myths often are stories or tales that try to explain the nature or the conditions of why the way we are. It's a way that we use storytelling to um, create meaning making and to explain the world around us through art, imagery, and kind of mystery. Um, and so as we look at part one of New Beginnings, right, um, we see and we understand that in order for our beloved character to come back to herself, she has to go back to the beginning and understand what, who the avatar actually is, right, the first avatar. Um, and so it is like, their version of the creation story and so there was just no other lens that I could actually honestly talk through that didn't include myth 
as meaning making. Yeah, and that, you know, as as you were speaking, it really reminded me of our prior episode on the Firebending Masters, where you know <laughs> Aang and Zuko are returning to the source of Firebending, and in mm-hmm. a way, this is the story of Korra returning to the source of her avatarness. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really interesting to kind of think about how that history and I guess, as Joseph Campbell might articulate that the myth around our creation and our origin is is really important for how how we live into our our true nature, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that makes me somewhat think, do the stories we tell ourselves, does that count as myth? Is that part of like myth? The stories that we Mm -hmm. create in our head to process the world as we're experiencing it, how does that play into it? Or is that a different thing? Um, I think that there are elements of the stories that we tell ourselves, right? But they all stem from a type of tradition or social or natural phenomenon that is outside of ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, I think, you know, when we, we talk about myth, we normally think about, you know, fable stories or the fact that it's just not true, right? Um, and as we enter into the Christian holiday that is Christmas, right? This is like a big time where like, we have to ask ourselves, was Mary really a virgin? You know, did God really impregnate? You know, these type of questions. And it's less about whether or not it's true or not, but more about if it can represent a collective or a phenomena about how one enters and experiences the world around them. Um, And so it's not just about how a person enters into the world, but how the world experiences the person itself um, and how that is reflected back to them through this storytelling or this meaning-making device that they're using. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that I learned in class this semester in particular was, you know, I am coming from a non-Christian background in a very Christocentric education. And one of the things that was pretty uh, heavily debated by students, not, not not much so by the professor who was lifting this up, but essentially suggesting that we don't really lose much in the Christian tradition if the story of Adam and Eve, the origin story, the myth, if you will, mm-hmm. if it's true or false, right? Mm-hmm. You can get gain just as much from it by it being myth and from taking taking the things from it and i I like to me i'm like yeah duh um but for for other people it was like jaw-droppingly and very defensive all of a sudden and so I'm, i'm i'm interested to kind of pick apart why we're so attached to myth and whether it is true or not or there are elements of truth in it i'm really curious about the human nature of being defensive about making sure that myth is real or does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah because it almost makes me think and this is maybe a little bit off but the it's people find i i feel that people protect and want to protect the stories that they've come to love in whether it's um traditional myth from the past or if it's even fictional stories that are happening right now right like the fandoms that protect their or feel like they need to protect yeah. their stories right yeah. people get mm-hmm. very defensive over you know 
who's a Skywalker and not a Skywalker, or who's the best Avatar and who would win in a fight, and mm -hmm. those types of things that people that people feel <sighs> ownership over some of those things. And maybe ownership isn't the right word, but um, protecting their view of the media that they've consumed. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so I feel like they also people could also have the capacity to do that for other stories, real or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that is scary, and I did cough and say Cora would win in a fight, just I'm going to stand 10 toes down <laughs> on that truth. Um, but one of the things that I think is really kind of important to think about, right, is that when you're experiencing a world, right, with a lot of questions, a lot of mystery, a lot of kind of unanswered or, uh, or not neat, uh, tidy stories, right? The stories that we tell ourselves in order to bring us peace or to bring us some semblance of certainty in an uncertain space mm -hmm. are the things that keep us tethered to our reality. So if these things are not real or if these stories are not true that we tell ourselves in order to make us ourselves comfortable or make ourselves um, more at ease about the world around us, then we can't we, we don't really know how to make sense of a world that is full of nonsense, right? So, yeah. you know, I think a lot about how chaos works in a lot of the things that we talk about when we think about um, how, you know, if we think about like the work of like rituals and like magic and things of that nature, right? Yeah. There are some times where, you know, you will read or you'll talk about an experience and it really shouldn't have worked, but it just, this, the circumstances just hit in a certain way and then boom, something magical happened, right? Yeah. Or, you know, how we enter into spaces that we don't, we can't really explain how we got there. We're just there. Um, and now that we're there, we now have to create this story or this narrative that makes us feel a little bit more certain about our space and our place in the worlds that we inhabit. Um, and so when we when we start questioning and wrestling and really kind of picking apart the story and seeing there's possible holes here and there, right? Yeah. Um, then it becomes really, really difficult to uh, navigate or hold space for like, wow, like if this is not really real, am I real? Is how I show up in the world real? Does it make it valid? The things that I've attributed worth, are those meaningless? And if those are meaningless, what does that mean for me, right? What does it mean for the life that I've oriented myself around with the assumption that these things are true? Which is why I can't just say it's about myth, but it has to be about mythos too, which is a set of belief systems or belief structures that we tell and we structure around what we consider true or and or false. Hmm. Okay, we now have, I think, a foundation for myth and the implications. So what that means is we need to start just, getting into the episode. Yeah, let's right? just jump on into it. No, yeah. no need to. No, we're gonna have to recap this episode. Do we? Yeah, because I mm. forgot everything, and I need you to help me remember. Okay. Uh, so, sunshine, are you ready? Uh, yeah, ready as I'll ever be. Ready as you'll ever be. On your mark, get set, go. Fire Temple Sages put Korra in a sensory deprivation chamber, and she sees past avatars and learns of Wan. 
that. You want more. Yeah, uh, okay, uh, one, one is, one is Riff Raff, <laughs> who can't stay one jump ahead of others, getting into trouble. But do they see a poor boy? No, siree, they do not. Oh. Uh, there's so much more to Juan. Uh, he uh, makes friends with spirits after being kicked out of the city, uh, breaks up a fight uh, with, uh, you know, some other things. And, oh, he uh, breaks up a fight with Rava and uh, this other spirit, and uh, <clears throat> chaos is loose on the world. Route this time I see uh I nailed it I think that's the best recap I've ever done and accurate uh you know mm -hmm. fire temple did, it. did put Cora in a sensory deprivation chamber and she learns the story of Juan that's what happens in this episode that is mm -hmm. an accurate depiction Ben I'm gonna start giving one sentence recaps and then doing whatever I want see what happens well <laughs> <laughs> good luck topping this one I mean, it was very concise. I, was, I have to give it to you. Yeah, incredibly. I've been working to speak in headlines. Uh, it's <laughs> typically my uh, yeah. something I got to practice more. Also, it's it's in tune with the genre. Let's be honest. Uh, if everything with Cora is pretty much a headline or a news story, that's a revisit it to us. So very you're true. on trend. All planned. Totally, All planned. <laughs> totally yeah. meant for that to take place. Okay. And all the Aladdin references, I literally wrote down that Juan was like Aladdin in my notes. Yes. That intro scene. Very much so. Almost uncannily so. Like coming through the the opening in the side of the building and giving people bread. Yeah. Giving <laughs> animals bread. Yeah. Purposefully Children. done? Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember like a half-human tree spirit in Aladdin. No. But no, I, I guess Genie so. could be one if he wanted to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's true. Ah, yeah. alas, we digress. Okay, mm. so we have now been thoroughly introduced to this episode, and we now remember what's going on, maybe. Uh, so, Indira. How what could is, you not after what, my recap? What's, what's a moment of myth that you want to lift up for us to, to, to discuss? Yeah, let's just start from the beginning, right? So... Mm -hmm. You know, Cora, Cora is, you know, knocked out uh, and is battling for her life in this, in the sensory deprivation tank, which I will not now refer to it as nothing but that. Um, <laughs> and, and the first thing that she sees is herself and she has no idea who she is, right? Mm. Um, in this like spiritual space. And the first thing you see is a wall the blockage of between who she is and who, you know, who she's tethered or connected to, right? All these stories. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. first thing they tell her is like, in order for you to figure out who you actually are, you're going to have to go back to the beginning, basically. You're going to have to figure out who, who we are through this one story of Juan. And so, you know, I thought immediately, the reason why it took me three seconds was like, you know, this is an origin story. And this is not just an origin story of, you know, just Cora, Cora's self, right? Because that was what season one was for. Mm -hmm. But this is the origin of why the Avatar is the Avatar, right? And so, you know, I'm gonna do really, I'm gonna try really hard not to, to jump between the both parts because it's really difficult to do given yeah, yeah. the nature of the, of the breadth of the thing. So if I jump ahead, I'm sorry, but y'all can reiterate it and look at it through another lens next week. Yeah, um, but 
Yeah, but you know, if you think about the total arc of the story, it pretty much starts with this idea of why the world is the way that it is, right? Which is yeah. how most creation myths start, is to be able to kind of say, in the beginning, the world was this way. And then something happened and now the world is this way. And yeah. so I really found it interesting that it started not with, you know, in the beginning, there was this gifted person who just happened to have all these parts, right? Yeah. It started in the beginning, there was a scammer who yep. was scamming his way to the top. <laughs> yep, and like, sure <laughs> and I think that one, I think that's absolutely cool, but it also really does complicate this like myth that we kind of had, especially when we come from the Aang Avatar universe, where it's like, hey, avatars are supposed to be like these pristine neat yeah, perfect people. perfect people right yeah and then you have the first avatar who's by Super you know lack of yeah who's like a scoundrel basically basically right um and a lovable oaf if you will and i found that cora is probably the most avatar out of the avatars because she embraces the fact that she's really not perfect and she's kind of stumbling her way through this avatar experience. Mm. So it actually gave me a sense of, wow, within like the first 10 minutes, you have disrupted all the assumptions and all the critiques of why, of why Cora is like the worst avatar on the face of the earth. Because yeah. if one is the first avatar and he's not the worst, then who is? fair yeah I, you know i i love i love the way that you're articulating this because I, when i was thinking about it i didn't even consider what it implied about cora i was just thinking about how you know this the myth at large right and not the mm -hmm. implications of how it kind of implicates how it implies how we perceive you know cora's standing and you know mm -hmm. I, people are really don't like Cora often because of how uh, imperfect she is compared to Aang. And that's to put in like this sense of Aang was certainly not perfect, but in comparison, he made different types of mistakes. And mm -hmm. uh, on screen, Cora's mistakes make her and put her in such a way and that looks worse to some people. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, one of the things I like about Korra a lot is that it, it really does start to dismantle that picture image that we have of Aang from Atla of, hey, yeah, he was the Avatar, and we all love him, and he was not a perfect parent or a perfect person, mm -hmm. and he made mistakes, and there was trauma that was caused because of his behaviors, and I think that that shows that kind of both sides of things, you know, when you look at that at one side of um Starting out, making mistakes, scamming your way, maybe not treating people the best, but overall, like you have the ability to to learn and grow and develop, and um, or hey, this person who was perceived as being perfect, good, had struggles and faults and things that we can also acknowledge. Like this isn't a, um, it's not a binary in whether or not someone is good, bad, yeah. um, and and yeah. is that way forever, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think that's the the beauty of myths, right? Is that as much as that creates some type of like finite point for a deterrent, right? It also shows us, most myths show us that things are subject to change at a moment or experiences, that the only thing that is certain is uncertainty. Um, and so, you know, this is another example of how this manifests, right? Is like you have these certain rules or principles about how, you know, bending powers came into be, right? And then it was subject to change. And now there's a whole different thing, which, you know, we can talk a little bit more about kind of like how the implications of what that means and looks like. And then talking about how now when we think about the randomness of who gets powers and who doesn't, there's still some questions based off of this myth, which is why I call it a myth. Um, but I think that there, there is some sort of a semblance of having a sense of like, wow, this makes sense that, you know, we had these set of rules, this one person shifts or changes the dynamics or the rules that are at play. And now the world is different and forever changed by this one person's actions. Um, and like, it also makes the avatar kind of a scapegoat, but you know, we we need those. We need to have a place that we can point to and say, this is why things are the way that they are. Um, yeah. Which I find it really fascinating. So I, I'm curious if you can help us kind of parse out the difference between this, this being like history and canon and for like, this is, this is certain, right? Cause we're getting it mm -hmm. from the, from the original source, right? That, what, mm -hmm. How more, how more certain can you get? Right. And so what's the difference between, uh, history and myth here. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm curious because is, is this history, what elements of it are history and then what elements of it are myth or is it, is it all both or is it just one? I'm so I'm like, how do, how do we differentiate between the two? So I am reminded of this quote and I think it's Mark Twain, which the fact that I'm quoting Mark Twain is really something, um, <laughs> where it says there's, there's history, history, and then there's the truth, right? Like there's one story, there's another story, and then the truth is somehow in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so then there's another quote that I remember, I don't know, remember who said it, someone can put it in the comments of, you know, that the, his, the story of the history is told by the victors, like the yep. victors get to tell the story of why things are the way they are. So for me, as someone who um, looks at trauma therapy, trauma histories and narratives around um, institutions who create and perpetrate trauma, I never really fully trust a historical canon. It's always myth. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because there's someone's voice that's always not in the room when the story is being told. Um, and a good, um, a good example of this is when you read uh, The People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn, which I read my junior year of high school in my APUS. Yeah, shout out, shout out to my APUS teacher who told me that I needed to work hard to go to school. Look at me now. Um, but <laughs> so much school, so much, school. Right? so much working so hard. Um, but, you know, I think that there's certain amounts of like 
narratives that we have to tell ourselves in order for things to be neat and tidy, but we understand that the world is not neat and tidy. So as much as we are getting it, the source material from you know Juan telling his story, right? There's still, it's still an interpretation of the events that are at play, right? There's still, it's still coded and veiled through his understanding and his experience navigating this world and making meaning of it. It doesn't always mean that our perspectives are fully and utterly objective truths at play. There could be someone that's outside of it, right? Like I think about how the story may have shifted for the spirits, right? That were a part of the spirit wilds and how they encountered and understood their relationship with Juan as Juan just kind of stumbled and decided to park for a little bit yeah. in the wilds. Would their interpretations of his actions be the same as what we were presented? Um, yeah, so I'll stop there. It's interesting to me who is who is telling the story, right? Because mm-hmm. is it Juan or is it Rava who's retelling Juan's beginnings, but Rava's the connecting you know, thread through all the avatars. And so it's, it's curious to say who's telling this story to Korra um, and, and mm-hmm. well, what perspective that brings on to the story as it's being told. Yeah, because even if, even if you think about Rava being the narrator, let's just say Rava is the narrator, right? Although the, the episode makes it really positive as if Juan is telling his own story. Um, yes. Even if it's Rava, right? Rava also has some sort of, some semblance of trying to understand or navigate. I'll use her because it seems like she uses she, her pronouns, but you know, they, you know, they're that experience of a spirit seeing this like oaf of a human being really fumble the bag by like letting go of the wrong person and empowering the wrong person to kind of move, move in and through the world. Um, and now like she's cleaning up the messes by training this this man to like do the work that she can no longer do because she's weak. Um, that also has a certain level of connotation, right? That may not be a thousand percent certain or true according to her perspective, right? So like, you know, she's making the assumption that if she dies, then, you know, then obviously, you know, the world will descend into chaos. Or if, you know, Vatu dies, then obviously she'll become dark. But they don't know for certain. It's an assumption that's being made mm. based off of their perception of what their worldview is. We don't know if if Vatu got murked during the harmonic conversions, whether or not that would have actually done anything. Or, you know, or or would we have a, a utopian society where there was no chaos or no darkness? We don't know. We're making assumptions as we go along. And even though we, you know, we we want to believe that there has to be dark and light to balance, that helps us feel better about the world and the nature of the world that we live in. It doesn't mean that that's actually the universal law or truth that's that's orienting our world. Ooh, I love that a lot. I hope that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I really love that, right? Because it's it is ingrained in our assumptions. I think for a lot of us that oh, like well, if we get rid of chaos, that means the world will be out of balance, and then all of a sudden, all these things will happen because we don't have any chaos. And then it's like, uh, or 
that's a narrative that we've been taught through cultural myth, right? That has been mm-hmm. uh, passed on for generations to help us grapple with reality. Well, and through several different cultures, right? I think it's and, a, yeah, exactly. a, a, I think it's initially a Taoist uh, point of view is the moment that you create light, anything that is absent, like anything that does not fall in that purview immediately becomes dark just because light is created. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And so culturally you see how that shifts through different, you know, areas, different people, um, even to now. And so, I, but it is, it's one of those things that we've said before is there's, there's, it's always a red flag when someone speaks in absolutes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and we see Unalak do that throughout this entire series or uh, throughout this entire season. Um, but the, the openness to like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go, uh, is always mm-hmm. probably a, a better place to land <laughs> than right. it is going to hundred percent be this. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because if you think about it, let's just, you know, honestly speaking, you know, if, if there is an absolute, right, that we could do, like, let's just say one plus one equals two is an absolute. We also know that there's some type of special math somewhere that one plus one equals four. I don't know that math. I won't touch that math, but there is a math that probably says that, right? And then, so what does that say for everybody who knows one plus one equal two, right? Is, does it make them wrong? Or is there, or is binary thinking itself a myth? Is, is the way that we understand binary um, as someone who navigates the world as genderqueer, right? Not being the idea of a binary has always been a false truth or a myth that I've had to navigate and make mm-hmm. sense of living in and outside of this system, right? This idea of, you know, being of this idea of race, right? Race is a construct, which it means that it's a writ a myth. Yet my experience as someone who has been coded as black or African-American, right? is a very real and tangible experience. So no matter how we move through the world, we are also moving through myth because we have to make meaning for the things that we do, whether they make sense or not and whether it's true or not. And what I love about what you're articulating here is it's kind of like shifting our perspective on myth being um, not true. Myth Mm -hmm. can be very, very true, but what it's articulating, I think, especially from the way you articulated it around Juan's story is even though we might be getting the information from the source, because it is only coming from one source, it is inherently incomplete. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is when you think about the world at large, when you think about all of life, when you think about all of the, well, maybe, maybe even more than the world, right? All you're getting is one perspective on, on what the truth may be. And that in and of itself is myth specifically because there is no way for it to be fully true without also everyone else's perspective. Right. Is that is that yeah. one way to kind of articulate one of the things you've said? Absolutely. And I mean, this is very like. This is very like postmodern theory and can can kind of seem very like woo woo up in the air. So it <laughs> so I respect that. Right. I absolutely respect that 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 might be a thing. Um, but I do think that there is a sort of incompleteness and you can't capture all the stories, right? You can't capture the perspective of, um, is it the chose? Choose? The choose. Choose, yeah. Yeah. choose, yeah. 
you can't really capture their perspective, you know, although I really, as someone who like, you know, is a stark anti-capitalist, I really don't care about their perspective, which yeah. is also, <laughs> which is also a part of it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Can't That's capture a choice all the you get to make, right? Right. I get to make that. I get to leave out certain elements of the story. But in light of the fact that I can make that choice, my my understanding of history and experience will always be incomplete Mm. because I can choose to leave out a narrative or a perspective if I don't consider it valid. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the implications for us, like Mm -hmm. implications for me, Ben, right now. Um, mm-hmm. thinking about like, it's what it's forcing me to do is thinking about, oh no, what are all the assumptions that I have about the way the world works? And like, I have to grapple with those because I have to realize that things that I might think are, think of as certain really aren't. <laughs> Cause it feels like what I, it feels like what I'm going to call the cheaty, uh, the cheaty trap from the yeah. good place is if you get lost in the is everything I'm doing completely ethical and like mm-hmm. making that is that you end up making no decisions and never accomplishing mm-hmm. anything or never mm-hmm. doing any so like because you're so trapped in the you know every if I have to think through every single instance of every single single thing that I do what does that actually mean about the life that you're living uh mm-hmm. moving forward it's an analogy I just came up on the spot uh wow, I wow. feel pretty pretty no, good. pretty good about it yeah that was great. That was actually really great. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned Chidi because um, it is very anxiety producing to think about this from the perspective of like, there is no real truth, right? It, it can kind of create this nihilism, right? This mm-hmm. is how Nishi goes, God is dead, right? So it's like this idea of like, there's nothing true. There's nothing that's ever going to be true. We're doomed as a society. Let's just lay and eat cartoons until, you know, the asteroid or the aliens pick us up, whatever comes first, right? (laughs) You know, and while while I would love to do that in this dumpster fire of the year of 2021, I know that that's not possible, right? Which is why myths are important. Because at some point, you have to make meaning in order to move and navigate and me and me myths are not necessarily bad inherently bad right they prescribe a meaning or they uh, prescribe a condition and an explanation of a condition but it also launches into a dreaming or a possibility of a world otherwise because if the world can shift this way by one person's actions who's to say that my actions can't shift the world for a better one Who's to say that I'm not the origin story of a new type of world that I can create, right? Mm. So, but that jump is a real big jump to have if you get stuck on what is true and what is not true. So what I like to say is what what feels true to me or what narrative or story feels good that actually will move society or move the world into a place that is more expansive and bigger for the people that I am in community with. So it's less about like, you know, what is true and what is not true and how does power work? And then there's no dreaming or possibility outside of that. I, I can't prescribe to that and live in this world and accept all the amounts of debt I have as a social worker and believe that that's, <laughs> a, that's the truth, right? Like yeah. social workers are constantly thinking about how to create and build new worlds 
out of the worlds and the systems that we have. So, you know, as someone who is, you know, trained as a social worker, my job is to say, I hear your origin story. And I hear the agents and the people that have created these shifts in your life, in your story, or in your world. But just like they can shift and move and change, you too have the potential to change and shift your world for the better. So what does that look like? What are the conditions? What are the actions? What are the belief structures that are necessary for you to move from this type of world to the world that has you flourishing, the world that has you, um, you know, having all your needs met, the world that has free healthcare, the world that has, you, you name it, right? Yeah. Um, but you have to be able to have a story to know how to not only move in the world, but how to move beyond the world that you're in. So a question that I have, because I, I tie it back to the episode, is is Juan walks up on Rava and Vatu tussling, uh, having a little tussle. Just a little tussle. A little, little wrestle. <laughs> a little, yeah. Uh, Vatu tells this story, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Juan is, yep, eats it up. Help the spirits. We've been, she's been keeping me trapped for 10,000 years. Um, when it comes to these stories, these mythos that are in our lives, these... Um, these tales from the beginning, you know, how do we try try to push back so that we're we're learning from the original source, we're learning from the people before us, we're taking that learning in, but we're also pushing back on what might be the falsehoods. The the mm-hmm. backup part of that question that may be impossible to answer answer is, or you know, how do we n- only not only take in the things that feel good to us but also taking the perspective of things that we may not like, if that means that it's going to help us progress, grow, learn, whatever that might be. Um, how do we not get trapped in a, in a, you know, in a bias chamber or silo of surrounding ourselves with only information that like we think to be true. The social worker educator in me is, is like dancing on the other side. So <laughs> this is why I say I love the second question and I'm actually gonna use the second question to empower the first. So when we hear stories, right? And we start making meaning of things, it is very easy to find comfort in the things that feel true to us. So if we look at this, this experience of the tussle between Rava, Vatu and Juan coming up and kind of fumbling the bag, so to speak, The reason why Juan moves and springs into action is because he can resonate with the idea of the oppression that Vatu has spoken about. It is directly tied to his understanding and experiences of living on the, I'll call it the fire lion turtle. Mm -hmm. As being someone who has been subjugated and oppressed by this group, someone who has been trapped in the cycles of poverty and exile, he over-identifies with Vatu's story and makes a decision that is snapped because all he sees is struggle and someone getting bested, right? He does not understand that there is something that could exist outside of his worldview. That there could be another alternative action at play in this tussling. He has set himself up to be this protector and hero to redeem a past 
of, you know, scoundrel and scheming. And now he is over-identified with the story of struggle and subjugation with someone who is given a part of a story because somehow Batu could see that Juan really wants to be a hero. And what better way of providing escape than to play to someone's ego? Mm. So one of the things that's really important as we are trying to learn is if the story inherently makes you feel proud and it comes at the expense of another person who is being subjugated or harmed or disillusioned by this victory story, then it's probably the wrong myth to believe in. Well, can you say that again, please? Because I like it and I want to hear yeah. it Yeah, <laughs> so basically, if the story that you are putting your faith and belief structure in makes you feel good at the expense of another party, another group, another worldview, another order, then it's probably the wrong story to believe in. The the myths that actually have the most value are not cut and dry and neat. Everyone's complicit in one way, shape, or form. Yeah. Right? So even when we think about Juan's story, Juan is complicit for the mistakes that he has made navigating through the world and fumbling as the avatar. Juan doesn't come out as the hero. Really, neither does Rava because Rava's kind of a jerk. Yeah. That's important. Rava's got hubris. Rava thinks that she's better than everybody, that she knows best. And it's only when Rava starts getting weak, becomes weakened to the point where she can't, that she has to rely on. And even then, she still has hubris, believing that she can still do this by herself. Yeah. And what does that say? No one's too, right? I think people are very similar. Right. And people are very similar, me included. Like, Rava is me. I don't like help. <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to tell me what to do. Like you've already screwed up once. I'm not giving you grace to screw up again. Yeah. You know, and, and I've had to work on being able to navigate or hold space for the fact that like, hey, sometimes people are not going to get it right the first time, but I have to be able to be willing to let people work towards their own semblance of redemption even if it means that that requires me to put trust in someone that i know is unreliable yeah right um but it also means that i have to get rid of my hubris to believe that i'm the only one that can do something or i'm the only one who can say something or i'm the only one who can read something um you know i'm the only one who can contribute something to the world um this this i love that language because we heard that language and we've talked about it pretty much on every episode but like i'm the only one is unalak's language i am mm -hmm. the only one who can teach you about the ways of you know spirit mm -hmm. the ways of the spirits and because even if he true even if he truly believes that even if that is something that he adamantly believes that's a red flag that's a red, big big old red flag for me in the way that he's approaching life and it's Absolutely. interesting because even if like it, and it kind of reminds me of this also the way you were speaking about about this is this is what creates the notion of white saviorism as well right yes um when when people believe like it talk about playing to pride and ego right when mm -hmm. you know someone who is white comes in and says oh i can solve all your problems it's it's a lot like juan in encountering this this nap this 
<laughs> tussle between Rava and Vatu. Oh, I can mm-hmm. solve this problem. You do, and then it's just so much worse. It's like almost every yeah. like youth mission trip. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god, I'll have stories offline about that. <laughs> <laughs> just in case, and just in case any of my field ed sites here, you know, hey, still love y'all. Um, but yeah, I think that there's there's something to be said about how hubris is the is always the downfall right like the story Mm. the stories that we tell ourselves let's let's just think about myths in general it's normally the failing of humility that causes the harm like you know if we take the creation stories seriously um and we read it from a judo-christian perspective right i'm not gonna say it's eve it's adam's hubris to not communicate that creates the harm of the fall right like and the fact that he just scapegoats this person that's supposed to be his help me like how garbage is that right like (laughs) you know if we if we take into account like our own understanding of how this quote-unquote nation dumpster fire of a place was created right like it was a presumption that there was no one here it was the hubris that there were that the people that were here who inhabit that land, the indigenous folks that were here first, were not valid citizens and had to be, you know, colonized in order for it to be valid and true, is garbage. Like mm-hmm. there's so many parts of our origin stories or the stories we tell ourselves about how the world is the way that it is that rests upon the fact that there is some level of hubris, someone who's working outside of the realm of I'm the only one of operating through the realm of I'm the only one that makes things up things. And I think that that's part of the problem is that at some point there's some presumed human nature component, the belief structure that we have committed, whether it's, whether it's through our meaning-making stories like our myths, or if it's inherent in us, you know, if you believe that sort of thing, yeah, that makes us, makes us constantly fail because we believe that we know best. Yeah. So sometimes the question is not if the myth is true, but what came first, the behavior or the myth? Yeah, that's so, that's good too. Behavior or myth, what comes first? That's so important. Wow. You know, there are so many things in this episode that we could really just pick apart, right? I'm thinking about, Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of myth around, like, oh, lion turtles, they're these, like, you know, perfect wise creatures also but they're just as like you're they're the lion fire turtle alone was just like all right the choose to create it so this is how it'll be we're, you got, we're you just ha- gonna follow through yep you gotta you're go banished. you're um, banished yeah um and and, and it seems like <laughs> who should be in charge here it seems like it should be the fire turtle making this decision but you know it's it's the choose that we're on top um and it's like who's telling the story right mm-hmm. um and so i think about that i think about you know, I really love this this idea of the first firebenders from from which you know firebending really truly emerged. Were all outcasts from the fire mm-hmm. turtle um, fire turtle city, fire turtle. City. When, and how does it how does that mythos, if that it was a mythos that is told, contribute to Ozai's view of what fire, fire the fire nation right? needs to be? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you know, I actually have been thinking about this, right? Because this is where I'm like, 
that there this has to be myth because there's certain plot holes because I really don't understand whether or not because of how quote-unquote random it seems that you know these powers come from again I'm not reading the comic books I'm just watching the show because uh, you know I don't have time Uh, (laughs) um I don't have time right now that's a post-dissertation project um but you know I I think a lot about like okay so if if these first of all the outcasts were all murked in the spirit wilds yeah yes Yikes. They all they all got they all got their just due for for their own hubris, right? Of thinking mm-hmm. that they know best and not listening to the man who's like, listen, the way you thought I was doing it right here, that's not how I'm actually doing it, right? Yeah. They had their own perceived myth coming into the game, and when the per- when the truth came in the face, they were like, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. Not willing to change and adapt. Right, like not willing to shift. So then I'm like, well, if that's the case. And the, and the line turner said, hey, we're not giving any more powers. Then how did the Fire Nation actually come to be? Yeah, because interesting. They, they were supposed to give their powers. They pretty much gave their powers back after every hunt. Mm. So where did they show so up? But that's, yeah. that's another question for another time. Um, and that's, that's the problems with myths, right? Like we, we try to tidy it up in a neat bow and then certain things just don't make sense. Well, yeah. um, and I think it's really interesting to look at like the fandom and, you know, you go back to the Avatar wiki and they say, this is exactly how everything went, right? And it's all based off and informed by, you know, canon, but it's also, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's some assumptions in there that are, that are just not questioned or critiqued. And as soon as they are, the first fan will come back, no, this is canon, I saw it. I'm like, you saw this one version of this one myth that may or may not be true. And there is a lot of truth in this myth, yet mm-hmm. it is not necessarily the one and only truth. Because exactly. I feel like even as we look at the, the mythos of Avatar, creator, and we've talked about this before, creator's intent at a certain point becomes irrelevant based off of the impact of the work and how that grows truth. outside mm-hmm. of that, right? And so... Um, you know, all of this storytelling is going to evolve, especially things where, you know, even when you look at larger fandoms, they may have more content out there, Star Wars being one of them. There are discernible facts, I guess you could say, in that world. But at the same time, there's so much that's uh, subjective that really is just like, why, why are you so mad that someone believes that if that's giving them hope and joy and feels like they're being seen? Um, mm-hmm. why are you arguing with those things, well, right? And, and I wonder if it's a lot of the time when someone has an altering worldview based off of the myth that you're both operating from, what it does is it goes, it leads to, well, if this isn't true, then my whole worldview is wrong. And if my whole worldview is wrong, then I'm not going to like it and I'm not going to be able to survive because this is the thing that's keeping me going. Mm-hmm. Right? And talk about about traumatic when you are so bought into a belief and you are confronted with something that suggests, not even like proves, but suggests that it is wrong. It suggests that you are wrong. When I I think Mm -hmm. we see that, how do we recognize that? Because, you know, it makes me think of Iroh and June and how many people thought Mm -hmm. that moment was funny and laughed at it every time. The 20 times that they watch that they laugh. Or Bolin and Ginger. And, and, correct. And then they mm-hmm. get told, hey, that's assault. And now it's a an immediate shift of, I've been laughing at that for the last 20 times that I looked at it. 
how do I process this? How do I respond? Mm-hmm. And typically it's, it's fiction. Stop looking into it that much. That's, that's silly. It's a joke. And you're mm-hmm. like, no, no, that's not how that works. Yeah. You know, you know, this then brings to mind, and I'm glad you said that it's traumatic, right? Is how many of our myths that we make are trauma negotiations, right? Like, yes, yes, yes. How yes, many yes, yes. things that we tell ourselves, where the, the, sto- the idea of storytelling itself, you know, how much of it is rooted in this idea of negotiating a trauma that we've experienced through this idea of narrative and creating a narrative that makes meaning or makes purpose out of it right so like I think a lot about this idea of um and again this is comes from theology but it plays out into like everyday worldview this idea of redemptive suffering like I have to struggle in order for my life to make meaning so the pain that I go through the fact that like you know I experience heartache and pain and trauma and disappointments and hurts right you stronger it makes me stronger. It gives me meaning. It pushes me towards my purpose in life. Do I really want to have a worldview that's rooted in the fact that in order for me to do what I'm, what I feel like I'm led or purpose to do has to come from a side of pain versus joy? I don't know. I don't know if that makes it good, but then if I discard this logic or this meaning-making, that has been given to me, this myth around redemptive suffering, then how am I supposed to make sense of all the bad things that have happened to me Mm. and the tools that I've learned in the midst of my trauma that I have now concretized as a part of my personality and my being and have used in my work? How do I make sense of that? Yeah. Man. Well, yeah. Then, again, this this episode, like, it's, like your, your, man. Uh oh. Um, so what are we doing here? Yeah, there's, <laughs> you know, there's so much here, and again, I feel like this this should have been something that we planned on, like really unpacking. I like, this we could talk about this for for days, and it's one of those things where like talking about. I'm just reminded of your initial intro, actually, and thinking about how you introduced the beginning of this episode with you recently talking a lot about dissociation and literally Mm -hmm. Cora is experiencing this dissociative experience, right? And how this, this story, this origin story comes from how we dissociate from, from the world when, when things hit the fan, right? Um, Yeah. And so there's so much we could tap into. We are, unfortunately unable to get to all of them to all of the things uh, even though i want right. to we might have to have the dissociation conversation offline just because i'm interested but I, yeah I, you know we just we gotta we gotta we gotta do what we gotta do but this has been incredible <laughs> we um, gotta we gotta do what we gotta do <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that's how, how we sum up everything yeah, yeah. just uh just do it yeah <laughs> i feel like every time i come here it's like oh here's a simple theme I'm going to be able to talk about this in an hour and it's like an nope. hour and a half later. <laughs> like- <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's, that's yes. Well, and that's the reason you keep coming back is you keep on being like, let's, 
let's throw this little thing out there and blow the world up with this. this <laughs> well, and this is one. Of, and I think this is uh, what we're doing is we're discussing mm-hmm. mythos right now, right? Not like literally mm-hmm. because that's the lens that we're talking about, but that's that's what this podcast has been. Yes. Um. And and learning and the learnings that we get to take and move forward. And it's always super frustrating and confusing to me when people say like you're thinking about this too hard. It's fiction. And it's like that doesn't mean it's not meaningful or like real. we're 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 told bedtime stories as children as a way of learning about the world around us and learning it's lessons formative. and making things make sense and just because something is fiction but the reality is like kind of what i feel like is what we're talking about is everything is in some way shape or form fiction because dun, 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 until dun, dun, you have dun, the entire truth which means that so many perspectives are being involved in it then like everything is still only half true um and so now i'm spiraling into an existential crisis um (laughs) here's what it is but this week on bending not breaking everything is a lie right exactly (laughs) and so um but we've seen the power of what happens when when you're able to focus and and learn from the the mythos that's being told to you um and diving into those things and the power that can come from that and i think that that's important to lift up is sometimes true not true Fiction, nonfiction, it doesn't matter as long as you're able to glean and grow and learn and move forward um, in a way that is living into the value system that you have. Absolutely. Mm. You know, this is why there's, you know, that famous TED talk of the power of a single story, right? It's like, if we only hear one story, if we only see one side or we only privilege one type of genre as the capital T truth, and everything else is just, you know, a moot point, what are we missing? Um, Art is the medium that ends up really reflecting the world back to us in a way that we can digest and interrogate without falling apart completely. Um, That's why we have it. Well, thank goodness for myth, for keeping us uh, from devolving into nihilism. I'm grateful. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to take a short break, let the music tickle our ears for a minute, and then we'll come on right back. How's that sound? Everybody good with that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. segment which is called yummies and bummies uh, yummies and bummies <laughs> i don't know how i feel about <laughs> yeah so, yeah our highs and our lows are now yummies and bummies because y'all didn't like nooks and crannies stop saying it because i don't like it um 
anyway, we're, we're trying new things out, and we're still waiting for our uh, listener consensus to send back what their favorite is. Uh, so we're trying out yummies and bummies this week. All right, y'all. Yummies being good and bummies, as in bummer, being bad. Um, <laughs> so dumb. It's so good. I'm not calling it that. I'm <laughs> not doing it. You don't like yummies and bummies? <laughs> No. Yum. No. Oh, that's so cool. I, so like I like our Cameron ones. Yays and whoopsies. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing great, y'all. We're doing great. We'll, well, we'll find a place to land at We're some starting point. the new year off right. Uh, man. Okay, so uh, let's, let's, let's dive into uh, Indira. Tell us about your yummies and bummies. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to use Peaks and Valleys because I cannot – mentally say yummies and bummies without laughing yummies and bummies from indira and listeners we're still waiting for y'all's input (laughs) uh but um the high of the episode has to be um i i in the oasis um just because i love the fact that there is a space of rest in a wilderness um my Bummies or lows or valley um, is definitely um, Juan's homies who decide to go off and create their own nation outside of the lion turtle in the wilds. Um, yeah, I don't see how you can be confronted with the truth that you know your assumptions are wrong and still be like, ah, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, that's that hubris that you know I just can't really. Yeah rock with so so that's definitely a low point it's hard because i also like empathize with the fact that they were under like this terrible rule from the Mm choose and like i i don't blame them for running away but the the way that they did it was was just not great so i i I agree yeah i just i just don't think that when you know and this is like the problem with trauma right is that you don't Often when you are leaving a violent situation, if you don't do the radical work of shifting your worldview, you will become the oppressors that you escape. And that's definitely what happens um, in this particular dynamic. Yeah. (laughs) What a low. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Sunshine. What about you? Um, I think my high is uh, I I love the... You're yummy. I think my peak, my yay... (laughs) My... Nobody likes the ones I come up with. Nope. That's my low, actually. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. No. Uh, Bummies no. is the low. Yeah. Uh, my uh, my peak, I think, is I, I love the expansive uh, world of the spirits that we get to see, like the differences between all of them and the, oh, and the yeah. different abilities that they have and um, how they are just ingrained in everything. And I think that is such a cool world to explore. And so I'm glad that we get to do that. But yeah, just the the different types of spirits and, and the pushback on like that there is a binary of like good spirits and light spirits, but like spirits that just ebb and flow and exist. And I think that that's really important. And I and I love getting to see that ones that we can view as negatives, like the the hornet fruit thing that he gets to chuck, um, that aren't really negatives. They they're just existing, they're just and people living. are coming in like you know just bum rushing their their space, and then they're not evil. They're just not happy that you, you know, destroyed their home, you know, that type of stuff. I really enjoy seeing all those spirits. Uh, my, my low is I am, I, every time I get a taste of Kurok as a character, I, I'm upset that I don't have like a 10 episode series with him. Um, 
and I want one. And so every time I see him, I'm reminded of that, and I, I want that. So I'm putting that out into the universe. Scary, R-rated, horror, Kuruk story is what I'm looking for. That's what I want. If you're going to get me to watch horror, that would be the way to do it. But that's but I don't have that, and so that is my low. That's a bummy. Real it is, bummy. It, it is not. <laughs> yeah. It's a low for sure. So my bummy is stemming from this reframing that you gave me, Indira, around Juan in, like encountering Rava and Vatu and the, you know, uh, analogy of that being a lot like white saviorism and how it, it seems like it's a total bummer that the origin story is based off of this instance of white saviorism and sure does does Juan have redemptive qualities and is this story one that leads to a, a lot of you know a different way of being for the world yes and it's kind of a bummy that this is how it started um mm-hmm. so that's 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 my bummy a boomy no boomy's a character bummy is something that is low and i don't love about the show that's the difference uh, and then for my yummy things that I like. Boomy could never be a bummy. I like yummies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is really stressing me. <laughs> it's like listening to a conversation with four-year-olds. <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then for my my yum-yum, my yummy. Uh, <laughs> Just I... say it. Just... <laughs> I think that's worse. Oh. <laughs> uh. I, I really love this. I, I love the whole like art style. I love the the whole origin myth. I love this this chance to learn about the history myth of of Avatar to to be able to learn more. And even though it's only two episodes, these two episodes are so crucial for our understanding of the world that is the Avatar verse, and whether it is myth or you know 100% fact it doesn't really matter but I, I i love learning about it and getting to getting a chance to um learn more and know more and this is th- these two episodes give us that so i'm i'm really i love that's that's super yummy super yummy mm-hmm. all right well that's our yummy and bummy segment um, next time, since it's, you know, been thoroughly dismantled by Indira and Chunchine, uh, I invite you all to suggest some on Twitter. If you prefer a different label for this segment, uh, send us your thoughts on what it should be called. Otherwise, we'll keep on coming up with different names because it's seemingly fun, apparently, and no one can land on something that's useful or fun and helpful. Anyway, we're moving on. It's time for our <laughs> devotion. And for our devotion, we are encountering the element of fire as it, uh, and the lens of myth. And we're setting an intention. We're setting a goal for this week uh, around fire and myth. So whomever would like to go first is welcome to do so now. Anyone? 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 Uh, I can go. All right. All right. All right. Um... So I am here repping for all the witchy baddies out there. 
um, as those who love the moon know, tomorrow begins our season of full moon energy, which normally means that it is a time for releasing um, and letting go of things in order to leave room for the expansiveness of new things to come. It's the last full moon of the year. And so I have been interrogating the thoughts, the beliefs, the myths that I have held true about myself that limit my potential and my ability to dream. So this week's intention slash ritual is to write down the myths that I tell myself that may not inhabit the fullness of what I can be and release those um, and leave them back in this year uh, by burning them away. Um, I think that it is a lot, we have gone through a lot over the past couple of years. Um, no. As we are entering into a new season, um, you know, I don't have to tell you there's like this, like, you know, real, real baddie, you know, a real bummy called Corona that has really ravaged our yeah, world. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, but a lot of it has given me a lot of room to reflect and to revisit certain things about myself that I don't want to carry into a new year. So, yeah. That is my ritual intention devotion. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And we are recording, obviously, uh, before the new year, but this will be released in the new year. So y'all can mm -hmm. channel that um, and think about that we are taking this for this week as we record. Um, mm -hmm. But y'all can do whatever you want. Y'all can wait till the next full moon and do it yourself, right? Take that on. Yeah. You can all, every full moon is an opportunity to release and let go of something that doesn't serve you. Mm. It is not time sensitive. Here, here. All right, Sunshine, what about you? So when thinking about mythos and, and myth and, and fire, I think for me, I kind of look back to moments where I have, especially around this time of year, where I have kind of cozied up with a book or um i love a good book right but the what there is such me? there is such a warmth that can come with good storytelling and good stories mm -hmm. and mm. um there's a lot that we can pull from them and learn and younger me was was very adamant about like when someone believed that a story was good that i thought was bad i had to tell them I had to tell them that that was your myth is you, wrong. Like that, that's a bad movie. Why would you like that book is terrible. How could you like that? That type of stuff. And now I'm at a point in my life where if, if, if a story is not harmful um, and doesn't have, you know, cause real harm to others and someone likes it and brings them joy and I didn't like it, that's okay. Right. That's fine. That is okay. And so I don't need to pull the warmth away from others that they are feeling when they experience uh, stories that give them life. And so You're learning. Um, I'm learning, I'm growing. <laughs> I'm like kind of an adult. It's just taken a while. Um, but I think that that's my, my focus is to, is especially this time of year is to just really one for myself, engage with just great stories that allow me to, um, to feel the warmth this season and um at the same time allow people to do that because it's not really my decision to allow anything right yeah. um mm -hmm. i don't have uh, but adamantly not try to take the joy from others is something that i think um specifically around this time of year with fandoms and and big blockbuster movies that may be dropping or have dropped and uh just allowing people to feel that joy that the story can bring yeah for people who don't like cora who probably aren't listening to this podcast right <laughs> 
you know. At this point, people who don't like Korra have probably shut off our. Uh, yeah. <laughs> shut off. They have unfollowed. Uh, yeah. That's okay. We'll keep talking into the void. <laughs> yeah. The void. <laughs> Indeed. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's two down, one to go. For me, when I think about fire and myth, the first thing that came to mind was incense. And so I mm-hmm. really enjoy lighting candles. I love. Uh, and I don't ever do it because I'm the type of person that you're like, oh, I want to have the candles, but I want to have them for when I need them. And then I never like, but I like candles. And then all of a sudden I have these candles that I never use because I'm like, but I need them for later. <laughs> I need them for when the power goes out, but I never light them for, for joy and for, you know, what it gives me when I light them. And it's, it's similar, for instance, I like the smell. I like the way that it, um, you know, creates a different kind of atmosphere not those glade candles though that smell is no 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 no. (laughs) um overpowering and so so much cinnamon apple it's too much yeah agreed (laughs) but when i think about myth and in in these things i think about how my the myth that i'm telling of i'm gonna need these later and how we are culturally wired often not everyone but i am especially susceptible to this myth that you know i'm gonna like run out there that i'm that i have to hold on to this scarcity of there won't be other candles i can buy right and i'm holding on to that and not letting myself enjoy things that i enjoy because (laughs) i'm saving it for a rainy day that has not come i don't think i've lit, lit a candle in Uh, like over a year because and i have like a ton of them in my room and i just never light them because i don't let myself and so i'm trying to like what are i want to confront these myths that i'm telling myself and acknowledge that there is some truth that it's helpful to have a candle on a rainy day when the power goes out and also acknowledge that the power hasn't gone out in in two years for me and wow, that means maybe I can enjoy candles more often without having to worry about that. And so that's just one example of a myth that I want to confront. And maybe I can light some incense and light some candles and sit in some silence and reflect on that and see if something else comes. And so that's something I want to do um, do this week. I wish I had such restraint around candles I, I or don't. incense. <laughs> I, I wish I did, but... I have burned every single, I've gotten so bad that I've actually engaged into learning how to make my own candles because I burned so many. <laughs> so awesome. My dad makes candles, or used to, doesn't anymore. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk offline. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk. So many things to talk about. That brings us to gratitude. To gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude for funsies. Yeah, I love that. Okay, it's time for gratitude. Who is... Who were we grateful for? Who were mm-hmm. we grateful for this episode? So there's a lot to be grateful for, I think. But, you know, up to you. Who's who's up? Who wants to go? Chun-chine. Oh, okay. That I can do that. Um, this is going to be strange. I'm grateful for Korra. Uh, but let me let me dive into that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> um, not by – I'm amazed that uh, her body is able to provide this healing uh, in this way. Uh, she did not opt into it, uh, but the fact that when her body needed to to heal and she needed to heal, her body kind of told her and is doing this practice for her. And I think that that's a really incredible thing. And it makes me think, wait, my body kind of does that too. Uh, the amount of times my body has specifically been like, you need to 
chill out. You need to slow down. You need to rest. The body knows what's um, up. And also the way that it heals itself <clears throat> is just, is just pretty uh, pretty incredible. And so it makes me grateful for the body that I have, um, and and makes me want it to to use it in a way that is in um, in support of that and and to be grateful for that and to to uh, acknowledge the privilege that I have. Um, for the body that I have. And I think that that's important. So I love it. Wow. Just at me next time, sunshine. (laughs) Cause the post semester crud is real. (laughs) Now I got to give gratitude for that. Man. Mm. Well, it really also reminds me of uh, a book that I'm reading and really enjoying called the wisdom of your body by Hillary McBride. Mm. Um, really really cool stuff and the gratitude you shared there is very reminiscent of what i'm reading in that book as well so really lovely okay um indira you or me um i can go um my gratitude is going to i i uh the spirit who governs the oasis um i am grateful because uh you know you know, uh, so at the time of this recording, uh, Bell Hooks has passed away and, um, I have really spent a lot of time, like Bell Hooks is like pretty much my North star about how I understand the world around me. Um, and I often say that, uh, she became the mother of a lot of black feminist killjoys out there who tell the truth, even when it seems like it's problematic, but it also pushes us to be better and, to aim higher than we have before. Um, I.I. is that truth teller, that kind of killjoy. Um, as all those spirits are like, yay, a human who like wants to learn. I.I. is very specific, um, suspicious um, and is gonna call you stinky because you stink. Um, but also it's doing it from a place of love and deep protectiveness of not only the community around him, but just the relationship that he ends up cultivating with one oneself so yeah my my uh gratitude is to i i for you know being the killjoy that speaks truth to power even when it doesn't seem like the most popular thing to do oh i love it that's so much better than i would have said and i love it and thank you for lifting (laughs) up bell hooks also i'm i fell in love with bell hooks when i read all about love um really yeah. lovely and then there's just so much so many of her other texts and work is very worth consuming for everybody who has not done so i highly recommend diving into her work Absolutely. Uh, okay for me i am really grateful for the childlike spirits that are in this oasis that are just like Oh, look, a human. Good luck on your journey. <laughs> and and they're just so, like, you know, super chill and, like, oh, cool, a human. I don't have to worry about this because, you know, I.I. is protecting me. And I don't have to worry about this and that. And, you know, oh, look, a human. Okay, bye. Go have fun. And it's just very um, at peace. And I'm I, I love seeing how how that looks and that's we see a model of it at what it looks like to just relax in this what looks like this uh jacuzzi oasis kind of a deal where everybody's just relaxing and chilling and then it's just like okay bye have a good day (laughs) and how like i want to be like that okay bye have a good day (laughs) 
it's it's interesting because like yes to both of of the gratitudes that were lifted up by y'all and it, one could argue that those are counterpoints almost they right are, um, in a way. and as we speak truth to that false binary is that you can hold space for both of those that childlike mm-hmm. wonder and that childlike ability to be welcoming um, but also that protective ability of like I'm going to protect the ones I love be critical. and 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 be yeah. critical and and make sure that you know you're doing that with inside your value system but at the same like you can hold space for both um, which I always think is important to lift up that and so it's it's I love that both of those um, spirits all of those spirits were lifted up for for gratitude cuz yeah. I think we can hold space for all of them yeah yeah, because you can't have one without the other, right? Like, you know, you have to have some type of innocence or openness or wonder. Um, but you also, in order to protect that and have that something, have that to be something that can be flourished and cultivated, someone has to protect the innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sounds it's like a, a both and, not an either or. <laughs> right. And it could be a myth, you know, um, but just seeing how people are working. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe this is one of those capital T truths. Yep. Yep. Maybe. Uh, well, I've loved this episode. And Dira, as always, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. And and as always, uh, we'll, we'll, we will invite you back for all the seasons yeah. that come from here on out. <laughs> um, it is always just an absolute I love, joy to have. I love to be invited. This is one of the highlights of my year of, of quarantine has been doing this. So. Thank you. Absolutely. Anything else, Ben, that we need to do before we wrap up? And or and Dear, before we do, do you, do you want to shout out any places you want people to follow you or, or find you? Or uh, and you can abstain from that if you want to. But if, is there a place that you would like for people to kind of experience uh, what you're putting out into the world? Yeah. So um, you can follow me on Twitter at at b l a q trauma nerd so that's black with a q trauma nerd um on twitter you can go to my website um www.imudofia.com i'm actually going to do some updates uh doing some really fun education stuff this year um teaching in certain places and so i'm really excited about the programs and things that i'm developing so follow me there if you want to know more information i love it I am following on most of my accounts, if not all of them. Pretty sure on all of them. <laughs> all three of the Twitter accounts that yeah. like exist. <laughs> Pretty um, much. I highly recommend. Uh, that's how I found out about all the articles that you are like, you should read this. And of course, I read them quickly. Um, anyway, a- here we are. Uh, you can also find Bending Not Breaking online. You can find us at all of the things at uh, BNB underscore pod. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, patreon which we would love your support for that'd be cool um you know especially you know around the holidays you know it's a little after the holidays now but you know the holidays are perpetual (laughs) give to us right it's a holiday every time you give Uh, but you know financial giving is not for everybody so if you don't feel comfortable doing that no pressure just a little pressure but like no real pressure um and remember you can always give worst us ad a ever lovely review <laughs> in lieu of that uh we would love that as well um but you know really what matters most is your 
your joy from listening to this and telling your friends and having the conversation. So feel free to join our Facebook page also where we can talk about the episodes. That's right. Big thanks to all of our listeners, our Patreon uh, supporters, and of course, uh, Indira for being with us today. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. This has been Brewing. And this has been Bending, Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.